listening to The Soundcast, the official podcast of tracksounds.com. I am Christopher Coleman, your host, and on this edition, I speak with composer Ryan Amon. Ryan Amon is a composer on the recently released film Elysium, which stars Matt Damon and Jodie Foster and is directed and co-produced by Neil Blomkamp, who directed District 9. I talk with Ryan Amon and go a little bit deeper into his incredible story of how he came to work on Elysium. We also talk about his experience in writing production music for trailers in comparison to writing an original score for this feature film, and also the unique creative process employed by himself and director Neil Blomkamp in coming up with a score for Elysium. It's pretty well documented now how you've you've come on to uh, score uh, this film for Neil Blom, uh, Blomkamp. Um, Elysium, um, and so we won't. I won't ask you to recount that story yet again. Uh, but we know the highlights of it. Basically, he contacted you via email after hearing one of your tracks uh, on a YouTube video. I think it was that someone had used your music. Um, right. And that's a very unusual story, and I can see why people would want to highlight that. Um, but now, since that's you know that's that's history, now you've gone through the process. You've scored the film. The film releases uh, today, or actually released. I guess it was a mid midnight release. Um, how has your life changed since that email was sent to you x amount of months ago? Yeah, you know it was it was really quiet for a while. Um, since I got that email, it was. Lots of different emotions from extreme joy to humility to, you know, checking my confidence levels, you know, can I do this? Am I up for this? And uh, and now being here and actually, you know, doing the interviews and walking down the red carpet with the actors, it's just, it's been completely surreal now. Um, but it, it's, it's something that I always wanted to do and, and really wasn't sure if I get a shot to. And now that I've been able to, to, to have a shot doing it, like I'm completely addicted, and I really hope I'll get to do more films in the future because it was a blast. Awesome. Uh, now, how long ago was that, actually? Did that, did you receive that first email and begin to talk with Neil Blomkamp? Oh, that was a good, oh, I would say about two and a half years ago now. Oh, wow. Okay. It's quite some time. Yeah, it was a long, long process. Um it's been about two years since I started writing music. So that first initial email, you know, before we even began working on it was, was it close to two and a half years ago? Wow. And, and so how long before, well, let me ask you this. Was there, were there other composers in the running? Did he say, Hey, I, you know, I want to, I want to use your stuff, but I'm looking at some other guys or girls stuff too. Or was it just like, Hey, you're the man let's talk. And it went from there. Yeah, I, It's funny because I never asked him. I think I was too nervous to ask him. Um, but as, as far as I know, I, I, I don't know of anyone else that had been asked to do it before me. And, and it might, you know, if I asked him in the future and he said, oh yeah, I was thinking of this person or this person, I don't know how I came to, to get the position that I did. But, um, that was, I was nervous 
you know, along the lines of, of composing, I also thought, well, maybe maybe when the studio kind of steps in and wants to hear things or some of the producers get involved, you know, maybe the politics of Hollywood will kind of, you know, I wasn't sure how long I'd be able to continue the process if they were going to replace me because of my inexperience or, or whatnot. Um, but Neil's, I mean, that, that first email from Neil was like, he, he knew that I hadn't done a film before and he was completely cool with it. And yeah, I was, I'm, I'm forever grateful for him to take a risk on me like that. Sure. And it's awesome that, that, that he did. And I'm sure that that fact has given hope to many, many composers uh, who are working hard to, to break into uh, the business um, as you have been. Um, how long was it from the time you got that email and you had that first conversation before you actually met with uh, the director in person? Oh boy. I'd have to go way back that. I didn't meet with Neil until they flew me up to Vancouver, um, where the post-production facility was, where his offices were. Um, and that wasn't until, I want to say, October of last year. So I'm not sure how to do the math, but yeah, I, I came on very late and met him in person, very late in the process. Okay. Well, but the email was like a couple of years ago, you said. So there's yeah, quite exactly. some... So some... It, was a, it was definitely over a year um, a year and a half, over a year and a half before I actually met him in person. Amazing. And so technology, you just communicated over the internet, Skype, or however, between between time. Yep, it was just mostly phone calls. Um, a lot of emails, too, very short, very concise about, hey, what do you have? Any new ideas for me to listen to? Or I love this track you sent. Can we do another one that's a little bit faster pacing and, and things like that? But I think we probably only spoke on the phone about four or five times before I came up to Vancouver uh, to work with him. Okay. Now, one of the other points that's been brought up in several of your other interviews has been that he didn't want you to see any footage. Uh, he wanted you to have somewhat of a clean slate, it sounds like. But do you have, did you have anything to work with, concept art, anything visual at all? Um, what was your starting point? Yeah, the, the first thing he sent me, and I can't remember, it was definitely after I started writing, um, but within a month or two, um, it wasn't too long after I started writing ideas out that he sent some some photos of a scouting location shoot that they were doing um, outside of Mexico City in that big garbage dump area kind of region that's in the film. And he sent me a couple of those photos. So I had an idea of the grittiness and that, that feel of dirt and earth and everything that kind of went along with it. Um, and then it, I also got a sketch. I got some early artwork of the Hulk suit that Matt Damon wears, that Max's character has, um, you know, drilled into his nervous system. So I had a visual of what of what Matt Damon's character would look like. Um, but those are the only images I had right away to, to start working. Okay, so when you when you started writing the first notes, um, you just had the description from from Neil Baumkamp or in the basic story or or anything. Yeah, it was the basic plot, but I think they were releasing on, you know, when on the IMDb page right away. It was, you know, there's there's the space station up, you know, hovering above the Earth, and he kind of explained the differences of who was living there and then who was left out on Earth, and there wasn't any subplot that I had been privy to. So we started out with ideas of, okay, well, let's let's do music that sounds like light, and then let's go up opposite extreme and let's do music that sounds like darkness and he wanted me to pol polarize those two musically and just then just go from there and experiment with that you know with with whatever sounds and instruments i thought might convey those two ideas okay 
Um, so what was the pro- what was it like looking at the score take shape? Was it um, did it come together as fast as you expected or was it, you know, herky jerky? Was it smooth? What was the arc of the development of the score? Well, it definitely took a lot longer than I expected. Um, and I wrote a, a lot more music than I thought I would be writing because Neil is, he's just insatiable for new music. And so, you know, when we started getting into the heat of writing and he wanted to hear some new material every other, you know, every other day sometimes. And so I'd be down there coming up with new ideas and, and just, just completely different ideas too. One, one track would be orchestral in nature. And then the next day I try something completely electronic with no orchestral instruments at all and, and send that, you know, just trying to get a, a feel of what sounds he gravitated towards. Um, and so until we kind of got that, that sonic palette of he likes these sounds and we want these orchestral instruments brought in to mix together, you know, then I had my, I had my palette of paint, so to speak, where I could then start throwing stuff up on the canvas. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was awesome working with Neil too because he would never be negative about something I would send over like oh that's way you know that's way off. He would say something like okay well let's try this instead. He would always turn it in a positive light, which really helped as a composer you know to, to keep moving forward with confidence. So did that open canvas at least to start? I guess that kind of mirrored your career to some degree in terms of the production music and trailer music you had been writing prior to. Was that a nice transition? Did that help? Yeah, it it was. I was a little bit, you know, I I, I have to say it was a little bit strange that I we didn't have the spotting session as as usual, you know, film directors will do. Um, but because he he approached it so unique and wanted to try something new and different, which I really applaud. Um, I also felt very comfortable in that world of writing music without seeing, you know, what the imagery was. So my background in, in production music and trailer music definitely helps in that aspect. Okay. Um, now let's back up a little bit uh, and talk about uh, your career in writing production music. And I'm just curious, as a composer, it, it, at least for you, was that something, was getting your music, quote-unquote, discovered um, at least a secondary motive for wanting to write that kind of music? Or is it like, no, I just want to have the freedom to write the kind of music, the style of music that I want, and not have the restrictions that would come with, you know, writing for a movie or a television show or a video game. Is that, is that, was that a part of your motivation at all or, or not? Well, when I first started out realizing that, you know, I wanted to do music as a career, and it wasn't until I was, you know, early 20s that I kind of stumbled upon it, like, this is really what I want to do, and I went for it. Um, I'd always wanted to, to do film music. There was something, I loved movies. I watched a ton of movies all the time, and I, that's, I wanted to be part of that storytelling process. Um, and so my first foot in the door just happened to be when I, when I came out to L.A., I got an assistant job writing, uh, or, or ghostwriting, rather, for reality TV. Um, and so at, at that point, I, I wanted to do something a little bit more epic as well. And I was always looking for an opportunity to do something more orchestral, something more epic in nature. And so trailer music just felt like the right fit at that point, like the next step that I was going to take. Um, and so I just started doing that out of a home studio and, and working on, you know, working with samples and working on the craft of getting the samples to sound as real as possible um, to a live orchestra because, you know, there's limitations when you can't. You know the budget to go record um, musicians, and so I worked on that. I worked on that a lot, and 
there was also a time after doing a couple years of, of trailer music for these libraries that I wanted to kind of try to get back, you know, into the film side of things because trailer music is, is amazing and it's great and it's a lot of fun to write, but it's also very structured. And some of the things I wanted to do and experiment with different sounds and maybe more ethnic instruments, it was a little bit, a little bit outside of that realm where if I had sent those tracks over to be, you know, considered for trailer music, they often were rejected because because of the strange sounds that I, I might be incorporating. Um, so I decided to do, you know, my own project, which which I called City of the Fallen. And it was more of a, a personal project I did just for myself in my home studio, and it ended up being something that, okay, well, let me, you know, do a second album and do a third album. And I think there's there's five of them now. And it's just, that was kind of my own... I wanted to go off and kind of do my own voice and try to discover what that was. Um, and it ended up being kind of in a, in a strange way closer to film music than probably production music. Okay. In what way? Yeah, I'd always wanted, well, I think because especially one of the, one of the albums is called revelations that I did. I think, I believe it's the third album I had done for city of the fallen. And, um, I, it was just more pastoral. Um, it was, it was more meant for, for drama, um, films and a lot of there is there is a need for that music for trailers for sure but a lot of the stuff I was being asked to write at the time was was mostly action they wanted the big action stuff with the big you know blockbusters coming out and the big back end and the, the choir that comes in at the end as well so it was um it was just something that I like to deviate from a bit and, and try something a little bit more subtle and um, a little bit more spiritual if I could use that word yeah yeah. So actually, that's surprising to me then to hear you say that you're, there are limit there are limitations um, in writing production music. That the the production houses want certain things and maybe isn't as much latitude for experimentation as one might think. Yeah, you know, and maybe that was just my ex- experience. Maybe other composers have had different experiences with the uh, with the trailer libraries, but but yeah, my personal experience was they were looking for. They wanted the action uh, because I think that's what most of the trailer houses were asking them for. So they were, and and I think they were asking for fantasy as well. They wanted some, you know, um, fantasy music in in the vein of maybe Harry Potter or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, hmm. That that's that's a revelation to me. I really I really, from outside looking in, really thought that you uh, composers would have more freedom. Um, writing for for production houses, especially well, I guess it does make sense what you say because so much of uh, the music used in trailers sounds very very similar, and um, you would think though that they would want their trailer to stand out a little bit more and to have something in there, some sort of instrumentation or something that that's like oh well that's different, you know just to make it stand out a little bit more would be something they might want to try to do. So that's that's a that's a very interesting. Uh, um, occurrence to me. Um, yeah, and I hope they do that more in the future too. I hope they kind of try to branch out a bit and then look for more artistic ways to to present trailer music in, in general. Because I, I think I think audiences might be getting tired of the same thing over and over again as well. Yeah, they 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 might they might be or 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 they're like oh that's you know they're experiencing the feeling that it's giving them which is similar to the feeling they had when they watched movie X and Y, you know, and uh, so maybe that's why they do it.
let's go back to go back to Elysium. Uh, what was your biggest challenge? And you've already expressed a couple of them, as just in the unique way that that this whole thing came together for you. Uh, what, 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 and actually writing the music. What was the biggest challenge that you faced for Elysium? I think the hardest thing for me was trying to find that the balance of these this mix of instruments to to really define these two worlds of, of Elysium and Earth. And there were, having a, a blank canvas that big and that broad at the very beginning was was a, a bit terrifying because I could have approached it from so many different directions. I wasn't sure which one was right. And I'm, I can be such a perfectionist at times that I'm constantly going back and listening to what I did and thinking, well, okay, maybe I liked that last week, but I don't like it anymore. And I kept second-guessing myself. And that was I'm probably my my own worst enemy when it comes to that stuff because I, I need to just trust my instincts um, and move forward. And I think that's what I learned from this project too is, is to trust my instincts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what about going to London and, and recording at um, Abbey Roads, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> that, that was a conversation that we had had up in Vancouver of, you know, where are we going to record and, you know, and I had spoken with, with my mixing engineer and my recording engineer, John Rod, and everyone was telling me, we need a big room. Um, this needs to sound huge and epic because of the way the orchestral music had been brought into it. And so we were very lucky to, to be able to find a slot that was open at Abbey Road Studios in, in their main room um, where they recorded some of the Star Wars films and Lord of the Rings. And so just this massive room with a beautiful sound to it. And just going over to London and, and walking into that room and, you know, smelling, it smells like earth. It's just, it was just amazing. I kept pinching myself thinking, man, I, this is a, I almost feel like I don't, you know, deserve to be here. And think of all the great musicians that have been in that room and the great scores that have been recorded there. It was, it was completely surreal. How long did it take you to kind of get accustomed to the environment you're in and, and be able to do the work that needed to be done? Yeah, I made sure I went in really early every morning, as early as they allowed us to go in and just kind of walk around and, and feel my way around the studio and sit in the control room and take deep breaths. And then and then by the time the musicians started coming in to sit down, I felt pretty confident. And then we you know, started recording, and then it was off to the races. And I, I fell into a pretty comfortable rhythm after that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and so how, how many days did you record there? We recorded for three days. At, at Abbey Road, and it was it was freezing because it was the middle of January or early January, and uh, you know trudged through the snow to the studio and the musicians. I, I felt bad for them because they had to you know lugging the, the the cello cases and the bass cases, but um, but the London Philharmonia was the group that recorded, and they sounded just absolutely amazing. I, I felt very very lucky to have them recording for us. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, so. In your mind, as you're as you're writing that music and you're doing your mock-ups and so forth, uh, and then you hear it performed uh, live there at Abbey Roads, uh, describe that feeling. Was it like, yeah, that's that's just how I heard it in my head, or it's beyond what my you know what I could have ever imagined? What what was that like? Well, the the best part I think was the string recording. We had we had split them into two groups and we did brass separately from the strings so we had more control uh, in the mixing stage but getting to hear the strings sit down and play some of the more um, pastoral music that, that's heard in Elysium because there is a little bit in there and that was just that was beautiful to me 
I, there's nothing more in my mind. There's nothing more moving than than a string section playing that that kind of music. And it's something that, as good as we can get with sample libraries, and we're getting really, really good. I mean, these these companies coming out with these new libraries are just incredible. But but nothing can, can capture that human emotion. That's when they all you know when real live players get together and just kind of. It's it's a very organic thing, and that to me was beautiful. I was almost like in tears on one of those tracks, and the, not the fact that I had worked on it. It could have been anyone that had written that, but just hearing those musicians get to play something in that style was 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 just beautiful. Is it going to be difficult? Not that you'll never get to do that again, but um, does it kind of spoil you a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely way way too spoiled now. I mean. To get a first of all a film like this the first time was you know amazing, and then to get to go to Abbey Road to actually do the orchestra there was I mean how, how do you go any higher than that? So I'm way too spoiled. I don't know what it'll be next, but I'll have to I'll have to you know change my expectations in the future a bit. As we're kind of finishing up, you know, I did notice I, I went back and I was listening to Clinton Shorter's District Nine score. Um, I haven't listened to that in ages. I haven't rewatched the film in ages. And I was curious if you had seen the film and were you, um, uh, had you listened to Clinton Shorter's score for, for that film for Neil Blomkamp? Yeah, I did. I did watch, I watched District 9 in the cinema while I was living down in Bolivia. Um, and I watched it with my wife and we both came out like really enjoying the film. And I remember the music stuck with me too, especially that, that opening uh, with the African vocalist. And, I, I I mean I love Clinton's Clinton's score and one of the other reasons that I was watching the film and I watched it again a couple times on DVD before I started working on Elysium because I wanted to revisit Neil's uh, style with with the cinematography that Trent Opelok does and you know with, with the editing that Julian Clark does and just because I wasn't sure exactly how to approach it as you know not having any visuals to go off of so I used visuals from District Nine. And the pacing of that film to kind of also help help give me some direction at the beginning. Oh, smart, very smart. Well, what I noticed in re-listening that there's some commonalities. Not that they, not that the scores sound the same, but there's some characteristics. Like, I mean, they both have kind of a, a little darker edge to them. Um, there's that electronic acoustic hybrid. Uh, there's kind of that wordless vocal element. Um, that that mm-hmm. weaves its way through both. So I found that those parallels interesting. Although yours is is much weightier and 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 a lot more energetic and has a has a stronger edge to it. Um, and so I thought those finding those commonalities between the two um, were were very interesting and pleasing to to kind of see because it feels like those worlds are almost connected. Although I forget the time frame of what uh, District Nine was set in. I don't know when what what years those took place. Um, but, uh, but I found those connections uh, interesting because the worlds do feel like they could be connected. Um, was that anything that you and yeah. Neil Blomkamp had talked about? Well, we, we never really discussed District 9 much, but I, I could tell after watching it and then seeing some, when I started seeing footage of, of you know, Elysium and stuff, that he definitely gravitates as a director towards that darker sound. He, he likes that darker sound. He likes the low, um, the lower register frequency. And um, he also likes to bring in those vocals. Um, it's really something that he feels is powerful, and, and he wanted to bring it into Elysium as well, and so we, we did it. And, yeah, I, I hopefully, you know, in his films in the future, we'll see 
we'll see the, the same kind of thing come about because I really like the style musically that, that he gravitates towards to. So our collaboration together, like couldn't have been better because I like the same kind of music he does. And that's, that's the best place to be in as a composer when you're working with a director. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, last question. Um, you know, the, the unique way that this has all come about for you, uh, I can imagine there are contemporaries of yours, friends of yours, people that you work with who are like, what the heck, man? Why this guy? You know, I've been laboring just as hard. Why couldn't someone use my track in a YouTube video? Or, And at the same time, others just like, man, that's just awesome. It gives me hope. I, I'm just going to keep on crank. I'm sure you've probably gotten both kinds of responses to some degree. But what would you tell, what would you tell, composers who are in the position that you have been in um not i mean you're doing well you're you know writing music music's being used in tv or production music but you haven't crossed into that uh your goal you haven't hit your goal yet what would you tell them to 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 do right now and especially in terms of getting their music out there whether it's for free um or or you know communicating with people over social media or email what would you say to them yeah, that's that's a good question. I, I often think about that. It's, you know, because this whole thing fell into my lap, you know, I, I did struggle with a little bit of guilt at first, but, but also because of, of my faith and, and, and being a Christian, like I, I started to just kind of settle down and say, okay, well, this, I believe things happen for a reason. And so I got this project because I was supposed to, and I'll just do, you know, the best I can with it. Um, but, but for future composers, um, people wanting to get into it and trying to kind of break that that circle and you know get in that circle um i would just say like if, if you're really passionate about something and you've got a, a real big heart to do it and it's just something that just you can't think of doing anything else then just keep keep pushing away because i think it's the people that kind of get they get frustrated and they kind of give up too early that maybe miss out on, on those some of those opportunities um and also i would i would recommend to, to composers and I'm, I'm so young myself and so new at this that i don't know what kind of advice i can really give but I, I always try to look at myself and, and try to find my own voice if I can. I'm always looking to, to really dig deep inside of myself and say, well, I know this composer sounds like this, or this composer has this sound that's identifiable. Like, If I can find my voice, because each of us has a different and unique one, try to really focus on that, because that's what makes you marketable. been listening to a soundcast interview with composer ryan amen i'm your host christopher coleman i want to thank you for listening elysium is in theaters right now in both imax and regular format theaters the soundtrack has been released by verez saraban and is also available now on itunes and amazon.com you can help support the soundcast and tracksounds.com by going to Amazon or through iTunes through the links provided in our show notes or anywhere on the Tracksounds site. I want to thank composer Ryan Amon for taking time and also for Albert Tello of Costa Communications for helping to put this interview together. So that's going to do it for this edition. Please let us know what you thought of this interview and the score Elysium by Ryan Amon. You can do so by emailing us at soundcast at tracksounds.com, hitting us up on Twitter twitter.com slash track sounds or on facebook we're all over the place google plus we'd love to hear from you so until next time we want to say may the notes be with you